Luke chapter 12. We are studying through the Gospel of Luke, and we are in chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 35 through 48 this morning. As long as you're turning your pages as unto the Lord, that's fine with me. (laughs) Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master, when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, Do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming, And begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. And at an hour when he is not aware. And will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will. Shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to him whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Let's pray together. Lord, your words were always simple and straightforward, but that doesn't make them easy. There are some difficult passages here this morning, and we want to understand them. We need to have your Holy Spirit lead and guide and teach us in them. Beyond that, Lord, we're not just here for an intellectual pursuit, as valuable as that is to our walk with you. We're here to promote intimacy in our relationship with you, to draw close to you and to know that you've drawn close to us. We want to attend to the still, small voice of your spirit, to the whispers of your love for us in our heart of hearts. I pray that we would recognize your encouragement your strengthening, your refreshing, your grace and mercy in our midst and in our hearts this morning. We thank you for your word. We want to receive it as if it is being spoken directly to us and then respond accordingly. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You've read the want ads, looking for a job. You go to the classifieds, you find the help wanted section, then you start scanning the titles for a position that sounds promising. Some jobs require little or no experience, but most of them list the prerequisites necessary before you can be considered. I want you to think of our text in Luke's gospel as if you were reading a want ad, because that is essentially what it is. You learn in verse 42 and 43 Jesus is advertising for, he says, faithful and wise stewards whom he will make ruler over his household when he comes. The job title is steward, and it is a position that will become open when Jesus returns from heaven to earth to set up his kingdom on earth. A steward in the Bible was a servant who was promoted to a position of authority and responsibility over the household. It was a management position, an administrative position. You and I, if we are Christians, are servants in the Lord's household on earth. We call it the church. 
when he returns to earth and we return with him, it is his desire that we all be promoted to stewards to aid and assist him in governing his kingdom on earth. You will be automatically considered for promotion, but there are prerequisites to being promoted to steward. And before your promotion, there will be a review of your performance as a servant while you've been waiting for the Lord to return. These verses, like any good want ad, list those prerequisites and talk about that performance. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, you have prerequisites to satisfy before you can be promoted from servant to steward. And number two, you will have a performance review before you can be promoted from servant to steward. First of all, we'll look at verses 35 through 40. You have prerequisites to satisfy. Now, these first few verses are addressed to servants whose master has gone away. The manner in which they conduct themselves in their master's absence are the prerequisites that will be considered when he returns to promote them to stewards. And so our point of contact is that our master, Jesus Christ, has gone away. He's in heaven preparing a place for us. And we are to conduct ourselves in a certain manner in our master's absence. Now, there's a big prerequisite before we even begin to look at the verses. I heard this this week, and I thought it was a little bit cute, and I hope you will too. Someone was writing, and they said, to be a servant, you must have a BA degree. But in our case, BA would stand for born again. Isn't that kind of cute? And so, you know, have you ever gone online and, and applied for one of those uh, uh, degrees or ordination certificates? <laughs> the Universal Life Church was the big one for a while. You could get ordained online or, or through the mail and, and have massive tax ba- breaks or something like that until they caught up to you. But uh, so this morning, I'm going to confer upon you, those of you who are saved, we are here as, uh, as an ordaining body, Calvary Chapel of Hanford, I am conferring upon you an honorary BA degree. You've been born again. And so, you know, people, some people like titles at the end of their name. Next time you have a card made up for you at work, whatever it is you do, whatever line of work, say you, you'd like your, your degrees listed and you want, you, you want, if you already have a BA degree, then now you have a dual BA, you know. You are born again. So it's kind of cute, but... Any opening you can use would be fantastic. So tell me you went to church yesterday and you've completed your BA degree at Calvary Chapel. As if they don't think we're weird enough. But <laughs> Now if you're born again, you are a servant on earth while Jesus is in heaven. You should be occupied with at least these three activities from our text. You should be working, you should be waiting, and you should be watching. First of all, you have the privilege of working. Verse 35. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Sounds like a high-energy diet, if you ask me, you know. Gird your waist, burn your lamp. No, it doesn't. It didn't sound that way first service either. <laughs> and it will never sound that way again. Make a, excuse me while I make a note. Everyone wore long, flowing outer garments like robes. When you were busy working as a servant, you had to gird up or carry up that outer garment and tuck it into your belt at the waist in order to have a freedom of movement. One of the duties of a servant was to keep the household lamps burning by refilling the oil and trimming the wick. Jesus is describing a scenario in which the servant didn't even go to sleep because his master might come home at any moment, so the lamps needed constant attention. Now, there's a whole lot we could say about working for the Lord, but within the context of this illustration, two things struck me. First of all, your waist is to be constantly girded. In their culture, this would represent to them that there were no breaks, there were no lunch hours, they didn't have any weekends off or any vacations. Now, does that mean that we as Christians are to work like the proverbial dogs, burning ourselves out? No, not at all. It indicates that your work for the Lord is such a privilege that you'd rather be doing it than doing anything else. It's not even like work because you do it because you love it. 
Now, a lot of people have, all of you can identify with this, I believe, and a lot of you have certain hobbies or activities that you like to engage in that are an awful lot of hard work. I look at some of the things and I think, man, that would exhaust me. Some of the crafts that the ladies get involved in, the cross-stitching, the needlepoint, you know, those kinds of things. I mean, man, is that a lot of work. I mean, you have to just appreciate that for a few hours before it makes it to the flea market or something, you know, at, later on in life. Do you ever go, like, to the secondhand store and you see these, these things, you know, dear mom, I love you, and, and, and it's like, how sad, you know, it just... <laughs> It just breaks my heart. But, I mean, hours and hours of, of really hard, meticulous work and redoing it and tearing it out, just getting it just right. Or we'll go on a walk at night, and a lot of stuff happens in people's garages. A lot of things, mostly with the men, but there are a lot of garage projects that go on hour after hour after hour. And I've talked to guys, and they say, yeah, that old bucket of bolts, I should just sell that thing. Well, then sell it. Don't pretend that you don't want to be out in the garage working on it. Just sell it then. And, and so there's... All, why do you do it? You love to do it. There's something about it that, that you desire to do. And that's the idea. We sometimes think of working for Jesus as if it's, oh, it's my Sunday in the nursery. Oh, no. What is wrong with me? Why did I sign up for that? And, and it's like, maybe I don't feel, I don't think I feel good. It's allergy season. And, and we have a tendency sometimes to think of our work for the Lord as a drudgery. These serve, Jesus was explaining a situation and describing a situation that they loved more than anything else. And, so, and some of you do this. You, you can't wait for your lunch hour so you can do something that you want to do. You've got a book you're reading or, or something that else that you're pursuing. You, you don't take any breaks so you can go home earlier. Your vacation is to do the thing that you want to do. And so that's, that's what we're talking about here this morning. And then second, they tended the lamps. Now this was simple, but it would be mundane and monotonous. There's, you've seen the little oil lamps. You put oil in it. There's a wick in it. You add oil. You trim the wick. And every now and then you have to add oil and trim the wick. But, you know, they, they burn for a while. And especially, you know, 11 o'clock, midnight, 1 a.m., there's not a lot of work going on, but you're constantly on duty getting ready for the next lamp filling or lamp trimming. That's all they were called upon to accomplish. You are not really called upon to do great things. The things you are called upon to do are great because they're for the Lord. A lot of times I'll, I'll do a message or people will hear a message about you know, doing a work for the Lord or getting busy for God. And people come up with all these elaborate schemes and, and programs and, and ideas about what they want to establish for God. And, and, and that, can be, that can be led of the Lord, that can be spirit-led. But a lot of times, and I think the majority of time, what the Lord is saying is, I want you to be content and redouble your efforts in the things I've already called you to do, in the kind of mundane, monotonous things of your life that you'd really like to get away from and do this other great ministry over here because you would get more acknowledgement or recognition. It's not just a lamp trimming thing every now and then. And, and so we want to be careful about that. There are works to establish for God. There are new ministries that need to grow and be strengthened. But a lot of times the Lord just wants you to be content with what you ordinarily think as mundane and monotonous and to begin to believe that He's going to reward you for what He's called you to do. It doesn't have to be a great thing. It's great because you're doing it as unto the Lord. Now next we see that you have the priority of waiting. Verse 36, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Now, in their case, the master of the house was gone to a wedding celebration. These could last up to a week. They had no idea when their master would return home. They had to wait and to wait up for his return. Let me ask you a question. Do you like waiting do you like waiting in line anywhere? 
I don't think you do. Often, if the wait is going to be too long, you leave and go elsewhere so you can wait there. (laughs) But you think you've really snubbed the other line. I showed them. I'm not waiting at the Olive Garden when I could wait at Mimi's. (laughs) People don't like to wait, especially in line. I I was at... uh, Many years ago, uh, I was at a Marie Callender's. And uh, you know when you go into a restaurant and there's a wait, what do you always want to know? How long is the wait? And let me let you in on a secret. They don't know. How could they possibly know how long the wait is? They don't know how long it takes people to eat. They might have some guesstimate. They just give you a number. If, they, if you look presentable and it looks like you might give a good tip, waits maybe 15 minutes. It's palatable. If you're ugly, that's at least 45 minutes. I go to the Olive Garden now, either in Fresno or in Visalia, and and they want to tell you how long the wait is. I don't even want to know. Just give me the little saucer that that buzzes when it's my turn. Don't tell me how long the wait is. It doesn't matter. I'll either eat here or I won't eat here. If I feel like I've waited too long, I'll just frisbee the thing back to you and we'll be done you know but i don't care because i know you're just making that up now marie calendars one time uh and there's this long wait i mean people are hanging off ceiling fans and stuff you know it's just a long wait and this one guy he goes up there and he gets out his wallet and he, he says how long's the wait and they tell him it's like 45 minutes and he starts peeling off money how long's the wait now he might, he had just come back from las vegas see if you do that in las vegas there is no wait have you realized that? Of course, probably not because we're cheap. But that's, you know, if you want to get somewhere in Las Vegas, you can pay and, and there is no wait. You can go to the head of the line. How long is this line? Well, how much money do you have? I've got $20. Well, then the line is 100 people long. <laughs> I got $50. Well, you can be number 10 then in line. We did that one time. Not really, we weren't Christians yet, and so uh, we, we, were, we weren't Christians. And so we came down, we were going to see Rich Little at the whatever hotel, like the Riviera Hotel. And we come down there, man, was there a long line. We just went to the head of the line, dropped a name because we knew somebody, and, and it was all prearranged. And we walked by all these people, hey, how you doing? Yeah, we're big time, you know. Went right in because we knew this guy. And then when we got in, then... Okay, we, we thought we had it made, but you still... Okay, now where are you going to sit? You're in, but where are you going to sit? Well, depends on how much money you have. And finally, when I got to $50, we sat up front in the front row. And it's just... But you can't do that. Here, you, if you try that at the Purple Potato, man, somebody's going to kill you here. <laughs> I mean, this is a law and order county. This is not... You know, there's no gambling with dinner here. I mean, you're, you know, these people are gambling with dinner. I mean, if you go in and say, well, how long is the wait? It's 45 minutes. Here's 50 bucks. Somebody's going to kill you. I mean, it's not going to go over. So, but nobody likes to wait. Ah, but wait a minute. You do wait because it's something you really desire. People will wait in line for hours, for days, even weeks for certain events. Jeff Twyton lives on a periwinkle blue fold-out futon on the sidewalk in front of the Cinerama Theater in Seattle, Washington. Do you know why? He's camping out for 139 days waiting for Star Wars Episode 3, The Return of the Sith. Huh? Now you're thinking, what a moron. But there are there's some things you might wait for. Now, you don't want to admit it. You won't admit it publicly. We won't have a testimony service where you'll tell us. But I know I've waited for some things. I'm a waiter when it comes to certain things, and so are you. Now, isn't Jesus worth waiting for? Have you ever seen or participate in a line party? Do you even know what I'm talking about? How can you get this old and not know? (laughs) These morons like Jeff Twyton who are waiting in line overnight or for several days, they'll have line parties where they party with each other and and have events and sing songs and and have a good time while they're in line waiting for the event. It's a line party. You know what? Your time on earth is a line party. A lot of Christians just see it as a line. 
and they're bummed. How, when's the Lord coming back? I can't take this anymore. This is insane. I'm going to do something for myself. And they're discouraged and distracted and bummed out all the time. You need to have a line party. And say, hey, the Lord's coming. He didn't come back yesterday, but hey, praise the Lord, hallelujah, party time. And, and that's the attitude that we're getting at here. Next, we see that you have the problem of watching. Verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. The Jews divided their night and early morning into three periods called watches. Jesus was suggesting that servants waiting for their master to return should be as diligent as you would in a night watch. And then Jesus added something so precious. The master would gird himself and serve his servants. This was unheard of in their culture, but it is the standard for the Christian culture of the church. Jesus came to serve you. If he served and he serves you, how much more should we selflessly serve one another? Now, I said a moment ago that watching could be a problem, and that's because of verses 39 and 40. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. If you have the kind of master who is gracious and merciful, one who serves you, there's a tendency, sadly, for you to slack off. You might quit watching for him, knowing that ultimately he'll forgive you for it anyway. Now, one of the many problems with slacking off is that there is also an enemy on the loose who you need to be watching out for. There are spiritual thieves who seek to rob and destroy you. We could list the world and the flesh and the devil. If you are not watching for the Lord, you will not be watching for them either. And so it's one thing to say, well, I, I just got lazy. Jesus isn't coming today or tomorrow. I'm just kind of doing my own thing. The Lord will forgive me. But by definition, if you're not watching for the Lord, you're not watching for anybody. And the thief is going to come and rob and steal and destroy. And that is the problem with watching because you risk spiritual peril. And so there you have it. Three very simple but extremely important prerequisites that will be considered when Jesus returns to promote you from servant to steward. The kingdom of heaven on earth will be a great endeavor. You will want to be working in it and you will want to be a steward. And make no mistake, Jesus wants to promote you. He wants to reward you with more service to fulfill your joy and give you the things your heart truly desires. You know, in our culture, we work hard so that we can work less. I mean, our whole kind of scheme of things is to work hard, less hard, and then not work at all and ultimately retire. I was talking to a brother yesterday and he was saying, and I won't give the, the career or, or who the employer was, but he said, yeah, he works with a whole bunch of people who when, when they get to be five years towards retirement, they're considered short timers and they don't do anything at all. For the next five years, they don't do anything because they can't be fired and nobody's going to do anything and they just kind of cruise into retirement. Now that's okay, that's fine. If you can get away with that, more power to you. But that's not the way it works in, in the church. That's not the way it works with Christian service. Jesus is wanting you to be excited. He's saying, look, if you're faithful in these few tiny small things I've given you to do, when I return, I'm going to give you tons of cool stuff to do. And you're going to want to do it because it's going to fulfill you and give you your life meaning and purpose and direction. You were cre Maybe on earth you're, you know, you're looking towards retirement, but in heaven you want to work hard and have more and more to do all the time. Now at this point, Peter interrupted and he said this, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? Peter seemed to understand that Jesus was talking about promoting servants and it troubled him. He and the other disciples were always worried about their prominence, about their position in the coming kingdom. They thought that by virtue of being the twelve, 
they would automatically have the inside track on promotions in the kingdom. And so Peter wanted to know if Jesus is now opening up promotions to all disciples. I mean, hey, Jesus, you know, we're, you remember us, the 12? Uh, you know, we, we want the key positions in the kingdom. It sounds like you might be opening this up to other individuals, and I just want to know if that's true. Now, I'm glad that he asked this question because it gave Jesus a chance to enhance his teaching. And we're going to learn in these next verses, you will also have a performance review before you can be promoted from servant to steward. Let me say an important word about your performance review. You cannot attain salvation by works. You do not maintain salvation by works. Salvation is by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone with a gigantic period at the end of that. That's all, it's by grace alone through faith alone, period. After you are saved, you are enabled by the indwelling Holy Spirit to discover and perform good works. If you like catchy sayings, here's a famous one Christians have used to help you understand the relationship between faith and works. Here it is. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. In other words, if you have your BA degree, you will manifest and maintain good works. Works are a byproduct of your salvation. The Lord says that he has before ordained or mapped out for you good works for you to discover. So there's no discrepancy here in your mind. We're not talking about working to earn salvation or after you're saved doing enough to maintain your salvation. Otherwise, you're going to somehow lose it. And so I just want to make that clear. I have to do that because the remaining verses in our study are somewhat tough. Commentators and scholars are really all over the place trying to interpret them. At issue is whether or not Jesus is addressing believers, and if he is, can they either lose or forfeit eternal life because of their poor performance as his servants? And so it's a very important issue. I'll tell you how I see these verses, and then you can decide if you agree with this or not. But here's how I see them. Verse, verses 42 through 44 most definitely are describing Christians, those who have been saved by grace alone through faith alone. Verses 45 through 48 seem to describe unbelievers. They may be among believers, they may serve in the church, they may even be very religious, but Jesus' review of their performance will reveal them as lost sinners who are headed to hell. Now, this is also important this morning because uh, I'm going to say in a few minutes that in any group of almost any size, there are always believers and unbelievers. And I'm going to guess, without looking at anybody, that there are believers and unbelievers in our group this morning. And, and nothing could be more important than determining which category you're in. If you're not a believer, you're not a Christian... You don't have your BA degree, you've never been born again, then you need to think about that this morning. You need to make a decision as to how you're going to get into heaven. You need to figure out what it is you're going to be able to do or say that is going to gain you entrance into heaven. And I'll give you a clue right now. There's nothing you can do or say because to get into heaven you have to be perfect. And even if you started now and could take a perfect pill... You've already blown it, and so there's no hope for you. And so this is very important stuff, and I would hope this morning that if you're not a believer, you would be considering these things and that the Holy Spirit would be here in this place and working on your heart to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ. And so pay attention. And so first we have Jesus' performance review of believers, verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household? to give, him, uh, give them excuse me, their portion of food in due season. In other words, how do you get promoted from servant to steward at the return of Jesus Christ to earth? Well, verse 43 and 44, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. 
All you have to be doing are the simple things a servant normally does. And we just looked at some of them. You work, you wait, and you watch. Just be a Christian in love with the Lord, and when he comes back, he's going to promote you. Wait a minute. Isn't Jesus going to review each individual believer at a reward seat? And won't some believers have little or no reward because they've been blowing it? Yes, that's true. But even the Christian who has little or no reward will be saved and will enter the kingdom on earth in some position as a steward. The thing to think about is this. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, that's great. I'll just slack off and barely sneak into the kingdom. Party now, party then. Well, if you can think that, you've got a real problem. If you can think that and despise the love of God for you through Jesus, you'd better think again about whether you are born again. And that's just, you know, that's just gut-level stuff. Nobody who's in love with Jesus would think, well, what's the least I can possibly do? How can I skate along? How can I sin as much as possible and still get in? Thank you for eternal security so that I can live like the devil now and still be rewarded then. You know, it's, it's really kind of impossible for you to think like that if you're a child of God. And so... It doesn't bother me at all to promote the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that you're going to blow it if you're a Christian. Maybe not as much as me, maybe more than me. But the Lord is going to reward you when He returns. Now, you read about that reward seat, or it's called the Bema of Christ. Bema is the Greek word that means reward seat. And there's going to be a lot of burning going on. All the things in your life that weren't really good or weren't for the Lord, He's going to burn them up. Some of you might just have a little wisp of smoke, like a little candle, candle in the wind, you know, something like that. Some of you might be an inferno. But all of us are going to get in and be saved and, and work in the kingdom. The gracious truth is that Jesus will overlook a lot of failure and faithlessness in all of our lives. If you want to check me on this biblically, and you should, go back and read Hebrews chapter 11. In that chapter, called by some the hall of faith, you have a list of the so-called heroes of faith, the superheroes of faith. Some of them are the biggest losers on the planet. Samson. If you didn't have Hebrews 11, you wouldn't be sure Samson is even a Christian. You wouldn't have any idea he got into heaven. There's a little incident there with Delilah. There's you know, all the controversy at the end of his life. Did he really commit suicide? Or what was all that about pulling down the, you know, the, the palace on himself while he killed all the Philistines? I mean, Samson's a loser. I don't mind saying that because he would say the same thing. I might have to run from him in heaven, but <laughs> it doesn't bother me either because he wasn't a great big guy either. Do you know that? You ever, you ever see movies, you know, Victor Mature as Samson, you know, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger type character. I think Samson was just looked more like Jason Alexander, <laughs> if you know who he is, because people were always looking at him and saying, where does he get his strength from? I mean, you don't look at... You know, Victor Mature, who played Samson in an ancient movie, or Arnold, or these bodybuilders, you know, Vin Diesel, or whoever. You don't look at those guys and think, wow, where do those guys get their strength from? I mean, they're big, strong men. But they were always looking at Samson and, look at this guy. Where in the world does he get his strength from? He was a little wimpy, runty kind of a guy, if you ask me. And, I mean, he was a loser from our point of view. I mean, he, wouldn't, he couldn't sit in, a church, in the normal church service. And, I mean, he'd be coming to the altar every week to confess and repent. But when God lists him in the hall of faith, he doesn't mention any of that. He just says, consider Samson. And, and God, in a very real way, he overlooks all of Samson's missteps, failings, and faults. And that's what he's going to do for you and I. And rather than make you want to fail and, and do more faulting, it ought to bring a faithfulness and a joy to your heart. And that's what we're talking about this morning.
among those who profess to know Jesus, there are always unbelievers. And they cannot pass a performance review. They're the subject of the remaining verses. You may be the subject of these verses this morning. And so I want you to think about them very seriously. Verse 45, if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Now, this is where there is a discrepancy, or, and, and uh, well, not so much a discrepancy, but a discussion as to are these Christians or not. And it is possible to translate some of these words differently in the Greek language. To, and there are some scholars, good scholars, who say that this is a, a kind of a, an exaggerated discussion about uh, believers who will lose their rewards. I, I just can't hang with that because the language is so straightforward that it must be describing those who end up being punished in hell. The first servant even though he's in the master's house, is an indulgent abuser. He lives independent of any fear of the Lord. He is definitely not aware that Jesus is present in his life, and he's not watching for the Lord's return. The Bible says he's cut in two. I guess in eternity he'll just be beside himself the whole time. Hey, you're the ones that are laughing, not me. He is cut in two we would say that he is dismembered, right? And that's an interesting word when you consider whether or not he is a member of the true body of Christ, whether he's a real Christian. Jesus says, no, he's dismembered. He's never really been a Christian. Then the next two servants, they have different levels of understanding, but they too fall short of being saved. Their destiny is being beaten with either many or few stripes. Uh, this is a description of what happens to people in hell. There are other scriptures that talk about degrees of punishment in hell where some will be beaten with many stripes and some with few. Now, don't think you're going to get away with anything in hell. I mean, it's, hell is hell. And, and uh, there are degrees of punishment. I don't even begin to understand that. As if hell isn't enough of a punishment to be in utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, you know, burning for all eternity and then having a different degree of that. But nevertheless, I have to see that these people are not Christians either. These are people, and, and really it's not that, I don't think it's that difficult to understand. These are people who are in church among Christians, but they are not saved. They've never been born again. They serve in the church. In some cases, they are the leaders or the teachers in churches. I, I've, I could give you lots of testimony. Some of you have this testimony. You were in a church, good church, good Protestant church, teaching or, you know, so, believing in the word, but you weren't saved. You'd never really given your heart to Jesus Christ. You were never confronted with the gospel. No one ever asked you whether you'd ever ask Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. You might have been the pastor of that church. You, you were an elder, a deacon, an adult Sunday school leader, a, a, ch a children's Sunday school leader. It, it, I know a lot of people like that. And then one day they're confronted with the gospel. They see themselves as the sinners they really are. They understand that they can't work their way to heaven, that it's not a matter of religion at all. And they humble themselves and they give their lives to God and they are born again. And so this, it shouldn't shock us that Jesus is talking this way. We need to consider whether we are in this group or not. Because you cannot survive a performance review as an unbeliever. The only way we survive as believers is because we've already been saved and the Lord has saved us by grace through faith and our performance is not about whether we go to heaven or not. It's about our reward in the kingdom and in heaven. But if you want to just stand before God 
based on your performance as a human being, oh, you're in such trouble. Just think about it for a minute. Think about it. God, the eternal, perfect, holy creator of the universe, asking you if you are perfect, if you are worthy of going to heaven. What are you going to say? What could you possibly say that would endear you to God, that would cover your sin, that would take care of all the terrible things you've thought and felt, not only the bad things you've done, but the good things you've failed to do, what could you possibly say? You know what? Nothing. Everyone will be silent before the Lord. There is no amount of performance, no amount of behavior by which you can go to heaven. You go to heaven because of what you believe, because of who you believe, not because of any behavior. And so Jesus says, yeah, you know, this is real. I'm coming back. There are... I think eight times as many verses about the second coming of Jesus as there are about his first coming. Nothing is more certain than Jesus is going to return to earth and that these judgments are going to take place. Next week we're going to see the firestorm of his judgment as he goes on and talks about this. And so I want us to think for a moment about Jesus and this issue, believers and unbelievers. First of all, if you're a believer, your Christian life is a labor of love. Jesus labored in love for you. He took on human flesh. He died on the cross. Whatever you do for Him ought to then flow from love. It ought to be a labor of love. And so we ought to look honestly at ourselves this morning. Have I become lazy? Am I not doing very much for the Lord? Or maybe I'm on the verge of quitting because the work has become too hard. Either extreme would be an indication that I've left my first love because my life and its work is no longer a labor of love. The solution is not to immediately commit to some new service for God or to quit serving Him. The solution is to get alone with Jesus, to meet with Him, and to begin to rekindle that first love. Do you ever sometimes, maybe as a husband and wife, you think, you know, we... We're not communicating. We, we don't have time for one another. And, you know, I'm busy and you're busy. We need to do something about it. We need to go someplace. We need to do something. This is what you need to do with the Lord. You need to get alone with the Lord. It, you know, it, it isn't that you have to go out and paint the house or get a divorce. It's that you need to spend time together and rekindle that first love. And so get alone with the Lord if you're a believer. Now, maybe you are not a believer. And I want to talk to you for just a few minutes this morning. You've never been born again. Jesus served you by dying on the cross. He took your place, taking upon himself all of your sins. All the while doing so, he was asking his Father in heaven to forgive you. There's no work you can accomplish that can save you except to believe in Jesus Christ. But when you do, confessing your sin, he saves you on the basis of your confession of faith, and you are born again into the family of God, and you can be a partaker of all of these wonderful things that we're talking about this morning. And I would hope that there's one or more persons here this morning who would respond to that love and to that grace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for these things. I'm really appreciating the Gospel of Luke because of Luke's emphasis on your grace, on your mercy, on your forgiveness, on your acceptance. Lord, how you want so much for us to bless us, to fill us, to fulfill us. And I think sometimes we just forget that it's a labor of love. And so, Lord, while we're here praying and just considering these things, I would ask for my brothers and sisters in Christ, those that know that they are born again, that they would just ask you right now how it is that they can rekindle their first love because we're all prone to moving away from love and seeing our labor in a different light. And so just do that work by your Spirit. Whisper to our hearts, Lord, 
the encouragement of your love and grace. Lord, I believe that there are those here this morning by your divine appointment who don't know your son Jesus Christ in a saving way. I don't know what they're depending upon to get to heaven, Lord. It really doesn't matter. If it's anything other than faith in Jesus, they're going to fall short. And Lord, we have a a compassion on them because they're lost. And we have an obligation, Lord, to ask them if they want to come into your kingdom, if they want to know your son. And so this morning as we close in prayer while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I am going to give you an opportunity if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. You can't honestly say you've ever been born again, repenting of your sin and confessing Him as your Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to to get saved, to come to know Jesus. And I just want you to consider all that we've said this morning and realize that God the Holy Spirit is here speaking to you, tugging at your heart, knocking at the door of your heart trying to get your attention so that you can be saved for all eternity. And if that describes you this morning, in just a minute we're going to give you an opportunity to acknowledge that you want to know the Lord by just simply raising your hand so that we can pray for you. We're not going to ask you to join our church. In fact, we're not going to ask you for anything. We're here to give you something, and that is the assurance that your sins have been forgiven at the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to sing a chorus, and then I want you to be thinking this morning, which group am I in? Am I ready to hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Or am I outside of that kingdom? And am I going to have to be cast into hell, but for the grace of God? And so I want you to consider that. It's the most important decision anyone could ever make in their life as we sing, and then I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to that. Christians pray. Come, Lord Jesus, I can't tell you, no one can tell you how many more of these opportunities you're going to have. While there's life, there is hope. You can always give your life to Jesus Christ. But you don't know if you're going to have a last breath. You don't know when that's going to be. I wouldn't put off this decision. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're here by God's divine appointment and design so that you can be challenged and encouraged to come to know Jesus. We're going to sing a little bit more and I'm going to ask you if you want the Lord in your life. And I want you to just be honest in your response. To all who are thirsty, to all who are weak, come to the fountain, dip your heart in the streams. Of life with the pain and the sorrow Be washed away In the waves of His mercy As deep cries out to deep We sing, come on, Jesus Come on, Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come.
Father, I, I ask you, Lord, to search every heart here. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, reveal to each and every one of us our spiritual condition before you. Lord, what we're asking this morning is a spiritual transaction. It's, it hasn't got anything to do with the physical, with our atmosphere, with, with anything other than your work in our individual hearts. I know that there are unbelievers here this morning, Lord, those that have never come to know you as their Savior. And we are pleading with them and begging with them and asking your Spirit to do the same, to draw them into the kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you know who you are. I just am going to ask you as we close to raise your hand saying, I want Jesus Christ in my life. I want you to also know that if you know that you're not a believer and you don't raise your hand, that you're saying that you don't want Jesus Christ. You're rejecting Him. There's no neutral ground when it comes to the Lord. You either accept Him or you're rejecting Him. And I would hope that you'd have more opportunities in your life to accept Him, but I can't guarantee that and neither can you. And so I ask right now, is there anyone in this room that wants Jesus Christ to save them? You want to go to heaven. You want to know that if you die today, you'd be in heaven with the Lord. Raise your hand so that we can pray for you. Anyone at all as we close. God bless you in the back. God bless both of you in the balcony. Praise the Lord. The Lord's doing a work here. Don't let this pass you by. This is an important time. Anyone else as we close? Jesus said, or Jesus, whoever he called, he called publicly. And this is a public meeting where Jesus is calling to you. Anyone else? anywhere else in the building you want Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior you want to enter into that precious love relationship you have a sin or a sorrow or a suffering a burden that you want to roll over onto the Lord let me ask you one more time will you raise your hand to accept Christ as Savior anyone else now Father we thank you for the work of your spirit and these several individuals Lord and I believe that you're continuing to work in the lives of others do your work, Lord. Have your way. Don't leave them alone, but let them know that you love them. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together. If you raised your hand this morning...